Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Good morning, Saving Grace Church, and friends, thanks for tuning in this morning. Uh, Today's message is part of our series called Finding Peace in Anxious Times. And uh, the subtitle today is The Recipe for True Happiness. And we're going to be looking at Psalm 32. So if you have a Bible, you can flip ahead of time to Psalm 32. And let's pray. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would fill each of us this morning with your Spirit. Lord, give us joy that transcends and surpasses our current circumstances and trials and difficulties. Lord, lift our eyes to you and your word, and we pray, I pray that the result would be joy and happiness and a contentment in you, and we ask for the Holy Spirit's power. We ask this in your name, amen. Well, good morning again, Um, in this time of sheltering at home, uh, it's quite likely that uh, you, like myself, might be coming somewhat restless at this point. And part of maybe being more confined to your home, whether you live alone or with others, is um, y- you can start to feel things kind of closing in on you quite a bit. And when that happens, at times, things can get stirred up inside of us. And it reminds me of a glass of water. When you have a glass of water, oftentimes it is clear, and it is kind of like our hearts or our souls. But as pressure comes and circumstances come, we often don't respond real well, and our hearts go from looking clear and clean, even as Christians, to looking more like this. And I don't know if you can relate, but I've certainly experienced this um, over the years, and actually, as of yesterday, I have a recent example So I had the simple task, which would be simple for most of you, of removing an old dishwasher from my house. And a combination of a number of things, my um, inadequacy as a do-it-yourselfer, a floor that has been systematically raised over the years in my kitchen from previous owners, and um, a couple of other things, it took me a lot longer than it should have to remove a dishwasher. But if you were part of my family walking through the kitchen, what you would not have experienced is a joyful husband or kind father. Instead, my answers were short. I was not happy. There was certainly anger in my tone. Um, The dishwasher didn't cause that. My family didn't cause that. My sinful cravings were the problem there, and they were being revealed by a dishwasher and people walking through the kitchen. Now, fortunately, um, I was able to own that and confess that, and um, we were able to reconcile and move on. But at times, things like that grow, and they become strongholds for us as Christians, and we get re-enslaved to cravings and desires, and they can have devastating consequences. This morning, we're going to look at Psalm 32, And David is going to teach us how to work through our own sinfulness 
even those of us who have a relationship with God, how to come out of the other side and really have a joyful, God-centered, strong, confident awareness of our salvation and our joy in Him. And one of the, the incredible things about Psalm 32 and a number of other psalms in the Bible is that David is not writing these as just a pure theoretical instruction like a professor teaching students. No, he is writing as a man who has walked through his own sinful choices and owned them and has come out on the other side. So he is a good guide for us. So look at Psalm 32. We start with verses 1 and 2. And the first point is this. Happy is the one whose sins are forgiven. Happy, or the Bible uses the word blessed. This is a God-centered, joyful contentment in God. Happy is the one whose sins are forgiven. The psalm begins with a mascal of David. Blessed is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. Many scholars believe that word mascal, where it says a mascal of David, there's some debate on what that means, but most land on it basically means instructions from King David. And these are instructions, as I said, from a man who lived the very words that he is writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So when he says, blessed is the one whose transgressions is forgiven. That word transgressions is very similar to the word trespass. So if you see a sign um, in somebody's property that says no trespassing, if you cross that line, you are rebelling and you are breaking that law. You are transgressing. You are rebelling against something. Blessed is the one whose rebellion or transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Sin here means a failure to keep God's standard. The word sin in Hebrew literally means to miss the mark. So blessed is one whose rebellion or transgression is forgiven, whose sin whose failure to keep God's law is completely covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord does not count or counts no iniquity. Your Bible might say imputes no iniquity or credits no iniquity. The word iniquity there is describing the corruption and perversion of our sinful nature. So our rebellion's forgiven if we are in Christ. Our failure to keep God's perfect standard is covered if we are in Christ. And our perversion and our corruption in all its many forms is not counted against us if we are in Christ. And we're going to flush that out a little bit more in a moment. And whose spirit there is no deceit. So ask the person near you, do you want to be truly happy? 
Do you want to be happy? I mean, happy at the deepest level of your being. David is going to tell us how. But we have to begin with bad news. The bad news is every single one of us, everyone watching this message right now, every human and every inch of the globe, with the exception of Jesus throughout all history, has transgressed, has missed the mark, has rebelled, has perversion and corruption in and of themselves by nature. Theologians call that the original sin or sinful nature. So we're born with sin and then we actually sin. And for those of you who have toddlers right now, they went from being born with sin to now actually sinning. And no one taught your child how to say no. It's in there and it's coming out as they are getting older. Well, all of us are born that way. And all of us have one of two choices. We either meet God face to face in our rebellion, in our failure to keep his perfect standard, in our own perversion and corruption, or we experience what David has experienced. We face the living God with all of our sins being covered and not counted against us. Now, David was an Old Testament king, and he looked forward to the future Messiah. We, in the year 2020, we have the benefit of looking back to Jesus. And we know that Jesus is the only one who didn't miss the mark. He's the only one who didn't transgress in any way. He's the only one that when he would get pressures and stirrings externally, no sin, no sediment came up from his heart because he was absolutely pure. And so he lived a perfect life and he died on the cross as our substitute. And if we turn from our sins and we trust in him, we are covered and we experience verse 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. Now Martin Luther, the great reformer of the 1500s, he referred to this Psalm 32 and several others as Pauline Psalms. That might not be a phrase we use often, but what he meant by that is these were psalms that sounded like the Apostle Paul himself could have written it, even though the Apostle Paul lived thousands of years later, because they so got the good news of the Bible. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 4 quotes Psalm 32. Look at Romans 4, verse 4, 4 through 8. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but is due. And the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, that means the ungodly is declared to be righteous, not because they are righteous in and of themselves, but because they trust in Jesus who is righteous 
and his perfect righteousness is imputed or credited or counted towards the ungodly individual, which is all of us who have trusted in Christ. His faith is counted as righteousness. So we trust in Jesus and his perfect obedience is credited to us. That is good news. That is amazing news. That is news that should fill you with joy this morning. Then he goes on, just as David also speaks of the blessings of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. We are guilty by nature, but when we trust in Christ, we are credited with His perfection. It covers us once for all. And that should be a source of major happiness for you. If you're with others right now or you're watching alone, text someone and say, do you know what a presidential pardon is? Do you know what a presidential pardon is? Well, a presidential pardon, if you're not familiar with it, I'll, I'll tell you. So it is something in our Constitution, in Article 2 of our Constitution specifically, that says the following. The President of the United States shall have the power to grant reprieve and pardons for offenses against the United States, except in the case of impeachment. So a presidential pardon is the president's ability to pardon someone who has committed a federal crime, is serving the sentence for that, and the president pardons them. Meaning they get released from the punishment of that crime. Now, if you are in a state penitentiary, I imagine that may be as good a news as you could get from the U.S. government, or humanly speaking. But one or many of the, the shortcomings with a presidential pardon is it doesn't deal with a number of things that Jesus actually deals with for us. It doesn't deal with the guilt that has been committed. It doesn't deal with the, the justice that has been broken, the law that has been broken. And it doesn't deal with the shame that comes with the guilt. And so it would still hang over you. And it doesn't really satisfy the demands of the law. See, in the Bible, in the book of Romans, Paul writes that God can be both the just and the justifier. He's the perfect judge who holds up the perfect standard in absolute perfection and at the same time, he can justify or declare righteous the ungodly. See, becoming a Christian, trusting in Jesus, and enjoying that gift is far, far, far greater than a presidential pardon. Jesus takes away our guilt, our shame, and our punishment. And... The Holy Spirit comes inside of us and we change. So a presidential pardon could be of some benefit for a criminal, but it doesn't guarantee 
any internal change or freedom from the sins and cravings that got you in trouble in the first place. See, we have something far, far better. One of my hopes this morning is that those of you who are Christians and maybe have been Christians for quite some time would have a a reawakening, a refreshment of the amazement of the great salvation with which you have. See, when I first became a Christian, I could have skipped a thousand miles straight to Florida with joy. I was so excited. Nobody had to tell me to be amazed or excited. My punishment was dealt with. I wasn't going to hell any longer. I had new powers inside of myself by the Holy Spirit to obey. The guilt, the shame, the remorse, the regret was all swallowed up by the blood of Jesus. And so there was a natural joy and excitement, and amazement, and wonder. But I've found, and I've, I've talked to many others that have found the same thing, as the years go by, as pressures come, as life gets more difficult and complicated, it can be like a, a wet blanket over our salvation. We're still saved. We still love Jesus. But the wonder and the amazement can begin to fade. It can grow dim. And the Lord wants you to be happy like David, to be reminded and excited of what Jesus has done for you. One of the ways to grow in this amazement and wonder, a very simple way, is ask the Lord. Lord, help me Give me eyes to see the joy of my salvation. Another is I want you to picture, this might be hard on video, but I want you to picture a letter V. So it starts here at the point and it goes out exponentially. And on this side, I want you to imagine this side represents your awareness of your own human nature, your own fallenness, your own sinfulness. Well, and then this side represents God's character, God's perfect holiness. Well, one of the things that can happen at times as Christians, we can run this line way too far, and we just become increasingly more aware that, oh, I am sinful. Though I'm forgiven, though God's changing me, the change is not near as fast as I thought it would be, and I am just more and more aware of how short I fall. And that can lead to discouragement and despair. On the other side, you can Grow as you read the Bible in God's holiness and you can think He is so amazing and holy and really unapproachable in and of myself. And so if you're studying those two things, this one you're probably just studying by experience, not by reading. And this one you might be studying by reading the Bible and other good books. Those things are okay. They're good. They're more than okay. But they're incomplete if you don't do something else. So picture that V getting wider and wider. And picture the cross of Jesus Christ in the middle. So maybe when you first became a Christian, you had some awareness of your sinfulness, which is why you turned from your sins and cried out to Jesus. But you're right at the tip of the V. You had some awareness of God's character and holiness, but not a lot. 
So you're right there, and the cross seemed kind of little. Well, as you grow in your awareness of your own nature and God's character, what should be growing is the cross of Jesus Christ right in the middle. So the further you follow out, oh, I am as wretched by nature as the Bible said I was. And God is way more holy than I thought he was. What should happen is the cross of Jesus Christ in the middle should be far more amazing than you first thought it was. He bridged the divide that was so much bigger than we ever, ever conceived or imagined. And so like David, we can say in verse 1, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Maybe you grew up around Christianity or some sort of form of religion, but you don't quite get it yet. Well, let me read a, a story, a true story from the Bible. This is the book of Luke. And in this story, there are two main characters. One is a religious leader called a Pharisee. The other is a woman who has sinned greatly and found mercy. Story goes this way. The true account. One of the Pharisees asked him, asked Jesus to eat with them. And he went into the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, a very moral woman, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him, at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet in his tears and wiped them with her hair of the head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now the Pharisee who had invited him saw this. He said to himself, if this man was a prophet, if he was really a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this was who was touching him, for she is a sinner. Jesus answered, saying to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Say it, teacher. So now Jesus is going to tell a parable, a story to illustrate a point. And here's the story. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owned, owed 500 denarii, significant amount of money. The other, 50 when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? In other words, the story is there's two people that owe a whole bunch of money. One 500, the other 50. Both very significant debts that they could not repay. And Jesus is saying they, they got their debts repaid. Who's going to love them more, Simon the Pharisee? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, 
I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say something to themselves. Who is this that forgives sins? And she said to the woman, your faith has saved you. See, some of you, really all of us, have racked up spiritual debt to the Lord. Some of us, an extraordinary amount of sins and rebellion and corruption and perversion. Up to the sky. And if you turn or have turned from your sins and trusted in Jesus and what he has done for you, all of that massive amount of debt topples over, covered and completely paid for by Jesus. And to the degree with which we are aware of our forgiveness, because we all by nature have a massive spiritual debt, to the degree we're aware of that, we'll have more joy, like this dear woman, amazed and thankful at the forgiveness of our sins and the love of Jesus Christ. And that will consequently thrust us into pursuing Jesus more and loving Jesus more. There's a little nugget of a verse in Isaiah 12.3 that I was taught very early in my Christian life by a man named, a pastor named Mike Bullmore. This little nugget is this. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. With joy, you will dwell waters from the wells of your salvation. See, our salvation in Jesus is to be this endless source of life and joy. It is a deep well that never, ever, ever runs dry. And if you need to be refueled, read the book of Hebrews. Read the book of Romans, especially chapters 1 through 8. Read the book of John. Ask the Lord to show you this joy of your salvation, this spirit that gives life. Read John chapter 4. Meditate and think about the the encounter that Jesus had with the woman at the well when he offers her living water that will never run dry, that will always satisfy. See, if we get this, oh, it will transcend all difficulty and hardship. It doesn't mean we won't feel them. It doesn't mean they won't hurt. But there will be this deep undercurrent of joyful satisfaction in the living God because of our salvation. Well, as I said at the beginning, David, King David, when he wrote this, it wasn't theoretical. He was writing from personal experience. And so part of the recipe of true happiness is doing some really hard things, which brings us to point number two. Happy is the one who confesses their own sins. He says this, 
For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groanings all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah, or pause. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. See, in order to be truly happy, we have to own our sin. We have to confess it before God and to others that we trust. That's where true joy and peace and satisfaction comes. Another Pauline psalm that Martin Luther had in mind was Psalm 51 one through five. And David wrote this after Nathan the prophet called David out for his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba and the guilt and responsibility he had for having her husband, Uriah, murdered. And he tried to cover it all up. But God convicted him. And David writes, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly for, from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I have known my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. And then he says in our Psalm 32 verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover it up my iniquity, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And the Lord forgave me. He uses the illustration of a hot summer day. See, he had tried to cover and hide his sin. And he described it, it was was like his bones were wasting away. He was miserable all day long. It was like working in the hot, hottest point of the day and just having no energy for anything. See, long before anyone else knew, the Lord knew. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are everywhere. Everywhere. There's nothing you have ever done, thought, believed, or tried to hide that the Lord is not aware of. And part of the pathway to happiness and true freedom is ownership and confession. First and foremost, To the living God. Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. I've transgressed. I've rebelled. I've given in to iniquity and perversion of all sorts and kinds. And the Lord forgave him. It literally means, Lord, you took it away. You took all the guilt, the shame, the penalty away. Now, it's important to remember, this was not his initial spiritual awakening. David already had a relationship with the living God. But he fell and chose to sin and rebel when he was supposed to be out at battle. And in my years, both as a Christian and as a pastor, the most miserable people I I would say, categorically ever interact with are this group. 
Those who know Jesus Christ personally are born again and have chosen to have a life of secret sin. And they've gotten re-enslaved and ensnared into sin. And so they know what is true and they know what is right. And yet they're trying to hide and cover it up. And they, like David, are miserable. And if that is you, maybe even during this time of sheltering at home, you've, you've gotten back into old patterns of sin. The way out is to confess it to the Lord. And bring some other people that you trust into that. And watch the Lord change and cleanse and restore. He loves to restore us and cleanse us from all of our sins. Now I know for some of you, there can be a temptation to think, well, I'll just stop. I don't really need to tell anybody. I'll just stop and we'll just go from there. I won't tell my Christian friends. I won't tell my family members. I'll just stop. Well, here's why you shouldn't do that. One, most likely you're not going to be able to stop by yourself. Two, even if you were able to stop, and maybe some are able, you are going to have this nagging shame and guilt that will hound you till the day you die, depending on what you've done. And so that is not God's will for you. That is Satan's will for you to keep you miserable and handcuffed in your sin and um, afraid to do anything that the Lord is calling you, afraid to use your gifts for him because of the guilt and remorse that you have of these particular actions that you've done. No, the way out is, Lord, against you and you alone have I sinned. And then you bring a trusted friend, a Christian friend into it. Could you pray for me? Could you hold me accountable? Could you help me? in this area. And when you do that, a flood of grace will come into your life. And there will become freedom. Proverbs 28 says this, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Did you catch that? You conceal, you hide, You will not prosper. There will not be this joyful, abundant life that God desires for you. But when you confess and then you turn, you repent, you leave it behind, oh, you will obtain mercy. I mean, think of it this way. If upon leaving the parking lot today from the church building, I tripped and fell and cut my arm on something sharp in the the parking lot, and it was a gaping wound, and then With that came dirt and silt and all kinds of stuff from the parking lot into the wound. And then I just went home and I'd be like, Mary, could you stitch that up real quick so I don't have to think about that too much? So she stitches it up with all the dirt and filth inside. And what would happen? Would I be healed? Would I be recovered? No. Infection would grow. And it would be far worse than the initial cut. That's what happens when we conceal and try to hide sin. See, sin is like mushrooms. They grow best in the dark, in cold, dark places. Righteousness grows in the sunlight, in the transparency and openness before God's Word and God's people. In 1 John, it says this. John writes, 
This is 1 John 1. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. We walk in the light. This is who I am. This is what I've done. And he cleanses us. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He'll give you the scrub down of your life. And with that will come a flood of joy and peace and grace and mercy that is overwhelming. Happy is the one who confesses and owns their own sin. And then lastly, we're just going to hit this quick, and you can study this on your own. Third point, happy is the one the Lord will protect, teach, instruct, and guide. So we, we deal with our sins before the Lord, and then He promises to watch over us. Look at verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at time when you may be found. Surely the rush of great waters, they shall not reach Him. In other words, the rush of great waters, the pressures of life, the difficulties, they can get this far and no further. The Lord determines how close they get. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. So when you confess and come clean, he's your hiding place. When you're trying to conceal sin, you do what Adam and Eve did, and you run and hide from the very one who is to be your shelter your protection, your hiding place. Charles Spurgeon, the 1800 pastor, wrote this, the gospel of substitution makes him to be our refuge who otherwise would have been our judge. The gospel of substitution makes him to be our refuge who otherwise would have been our judge. Verse 8 says this. This is the voice changes here. This is actually God speaking. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Keep pursuing the Lord. Keep trusting the Lord. He will surround you with His love. See, God is not aloof. He's not an aloof or absentee Father. He is always mindful of our well-being. He is always near to the brokenhearted. He always hears His children's call when we call to Him. Keep running towards Him. Stay close to Him. Follow Him. Ask Him for grace and power to obey Him. What is true of the Father is true of the Son. Listen to what Jesus said. My sheep hear My voice. I know them. They follow Me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. And no one or nothing will snatch them out of My hand. My Father who has given them to Me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Stay close to Jesus. Be amazed that He saved you and promises to keep you. So if you have trusted in Jesus, you are free. You are pardoned. 
You are paid for. You are loved. And listen to verse 11 as David closes. A man who had his own major share of guilt and sin that the Lord took away. He concludes by writing, Be glad in the Lord. Be glad, be happy, rejoice in the Lord, O righteous, and shout for joy. Shout for joy. Proclaim what he has done. All you upright in heart. This shout for joy really literally means give a loud, ringing cry. Jesus, thank you for saving a sinner like me. Happy is the one whose sins are forgiven. Happy is the one who confesses and owns their sins. And happy is the one the Lord will protect and instruct and guide. Let's pray and I have a few quick announcements. Father, we want to drink from the well of our salvation. Holy Spirit, we want to experience the living water that Jesus offered. Jesus, thank you for taking our place. Thank you that we are covered and forgiven. And Lord, if there are some who are knowing that they have to do the hard work of ownership and confession, give them power, give them grace. And when they talk to others, may the others be gracious and merciful and kind. And encourage them with your word. Lord, we love you. We ask this in your name. Amen.